So the Advent Retreat began last night, and um, its theme, as I said, is uh, watching for the light. And this morning, we are going to look at Abraham, who waited for the promise to be fulfilled. I asked at the beginning, are you good at waiting? And I think there wasn't anybody that said that they were good at waiting. I'm not that good at waiting either. I looked at the dictionary to see what waiting means. And waiting, according to the dictionary, means allowing time to go by. That's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? (laughs) Allowing time to go by. Staying in one place without doing very much, maybe. Until something that you are expecting happens. Maybe waiting until you can do something. Why is it that when you're waiting for something that's good, time takes forever? And why there is something that you dread, time goes in a flash. Waiting. It's odd, isn't it? How these things can change our experience of waiting. And I was thinking about some of the things that we wait for. And it dawned on me that there are... um, There are things that have defined waiting times, like, I know when my birthday is, I know how long I have to wait for my next birthday, it will come on the same day next year as it came this year, no surprise, I know when Christmas is. It's defined waiting, isn't it? We know when the dates are. If you set a holiday or a wedding or something like that, you know when the date is and you move towards it. But there are other things that are undefined that we still have to wait for, like the bus. (laughs) That never comes according to the timetable, well, rarely, anyway. And then three come at once, don't they? For hospital appointments, when is the appointment going to come through? And then for the test results, for a date for surgery, for a buyer for your house, to conceive. These are all things that you wait We wait for, but they are undefined. There is no date that is set by which it will happen. And that makes it hard, doesn't it? When you can't tell when something's going to happen. And of course, looking at Abraham, he was waiting for a child, a child that had been promised. And we're going to read from Genesis 18, the first 15 verses of that chapter, which, and the words will be on the screen. And what we need to realise is this is quite a long way into the story and I'm going to recap the story in just a sec. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Just like that. (laughs) So quick. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. 
He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> Don't you just love scripture for its practicality? The promise, of course, was for a child, but God was not in a hurry. God was not in a hurry here. And we have to um, go back a little while. In fact, we have to go back 25 years, give or take. And Abraham, when we first meet him in the gospel, in the, in the, gospel, <laughs> in the Old Testament, is called Abram, and his wife is called Sarai. And we're told some crucial facts. Abram's wife is Sarai. Sarai is childless. This is the first time we meet her. We're told that she's childless, unable to conceive. It's like she wears it on her sleeve as her identity. In fact, when we first meet Sarai, when the, the NIV neatly avoids the use of the term barren. <laughs> Just says she's childless. Because barrenness has such stigma, even today it has stigma, doesn't it? And few other words, I think, carry such hopelessness within them as barren. You know, that roller coaster of a possibility each month and the door slams shut, the repetitious cycle of hope and disappointment, body clocks that tick away and hope that dies. We're told when we first meet them that Abram is 75 and his wife is about 10 years younger. And to understand the promise, we've just got to cover a little bit of history. So I'll try and skate over it because it, there's a lot that happens in these 25 years between when we first meet and um, when the child finally comes. Is that a spoiler alert? <laughs> in Genesis 12... We meet Abram and God says to him, go. Go from your home, go from your country, go from your land, go from your people. This is a big thing he's asking of Abram. He says, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Your name will be great and you will be a blessing. And God will bless, God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. These are big promises for this man. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Massive promises. The thing about God is he doesn't always give you the detail, does he? Go, go where? You'll know when you get there. Just go. Abram went 
and he stopped in Canaan, he took his family with him, possessions, and it's a deep and complex calling that he said to Abram. Because really he's saying, go from the things that bind you, go from the sense of who you are, and then I can make you into who I want you to be. Go from your day-to-day -day way of being to a life that you don't know what that's going to look like to something I'm going to show you. And actually, that has something of our own calling in it, doesn't it? <laughs> Come into this life, I'm not going to show you what it all looks like. You're going to find out along the way. Have the ride of your life. Leave what is familiar and take up a pattern of life that's less clear. And these promises to Abram are reiterated over and over. I tried to count them, but it gets complicated. I think it's probably about six times that these promises are re-said. They're re-said when Abram and I think it was his cousin Lot go their separate ways in this new land. And God says to Abram, your, your offspring is going to be like the dust. It's uncountable. And then there comes a time when Abram has to rescue Lot from um, people who are going to do him harm. And Abram takes the opportunity to say to God, I'm childless still. I'm childless. And helpfully suggests that actually his servant might be his heir. I'm going to solve the problem for you, God. You haven't given me a child, so I'm going to remind you of that and give you, a, give you a solution. And God says, no. And this time he says, your descendants will be like the stars of the sky, countless. And again, there's the promise of land. And then, a little bit later on, God takes Abram to a place where there is the cutting of the covenant. I'm not going to go into that now because it's a complicated thing, but essentially, God made Abram a promise and he did it in such a way that it was unbreakable. It didn't rely on Abram. It only relied on God. It was a significant thing in Abram's life. And after that, God sets out his plan again and says, you're going to have land, land for your descendants. But still nothing happens. So Sarai has a great idea. I know, she says, how you can have a son. It can be your son, won't be mine. Why don't you sleep with my servant? great idea. goes terribly wrong. And Ishmael is born when Abram is 86. So this is 11 years later. And I love it. Between chapter 16 and 17, 13 years pass between the last verse of the one chapter and the first verse of the next. 13 years. What was God saying in that time, I wonder? How time passes. So the Lord comes back to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to live faithfully and blamelessly. And I will increase your numbers. There's the promise again. And Abram falls at his feet. And here comes the promise again. But there's a bit more to it this time. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to change your name. And I'll come to that in a bit, in a bit later on. You will be fruitful. And here's the new bit. Kings will come from your descendants. He hadn't said that before. And he hadn't said this before either. I will be your God and I will be the God of your descendants. So the promise is extending even before he's even had the first delivery of it. 
And then God asks him to circumcise all the males of the household. Again, I'm not going to go into that because that's um, that could be a, a talk on its own. But it was the setting apart of the people that would become the people of God. And he obeys. And Sarai's name is changed at the same time. And there's the reiteration that there will be a child. And this time, Sarah, Sarai, Sarah will have the child. And Abram, Abraham, as he is at this point, laughs and says, I'm going to be a hundred when this child is born. It's ridiculous. That's my words, not his. And he has another go at finding the way forward. And he says to God, well, I've got a son, Ishmael. He could have your blessing. Why don't you give him your blessing? And then, um, you know, it'll work fine. And God says, no, that's not how it's going to be. Sarah's going to be the mother. You're going to be the father. And the promise is reiterated. And then we get to the time that I've just read. The visitors come and the promise is given again. And this time it's Sarah that laughs. And then there's another couple of chapters. And in those chapters, you probably know the names of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that place is destroyed. But Abram pleads for the righteous in Sodom. And he whittles it down to, if there are 50 righteous men, right the way down to 10, and God agrees. If there are 10, I won't destroy it. And it enables some of Abram's family, Abraham's family, to leave Lot and his wife. And then finally, I'm going to read from Genesis 21. Verses 1, 2, and 6. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram, Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And of course, his, her son Isaac Name means laughter. In fact, it means mocking and laughter. So what's all this about? We've got 25 years of waiting. We've got 25 years of events. We've got a name change. We've got these covenants, promises that are repeated over and over and over. Well, I think there are some quite significant things that we can draw out of this. The truth is, we do not like waiting, do we? We don't like waiting. And I can imagine their panic. They're already 75 and 65. Not a time in life to be having a child. But God isn't in a hurry, even if we think our body clock is marching on. And waiting can draw us into a different kind of being. One that doesn't rush to easy answers because the easy answers usually create great crises and complications. Abram tried it and it didn't work. And we often end up seeing God in a different way. Isaac was born at the very time 
God had appointed. Under sovereignty, that means. It was the sovereignly appointed time for him to be born. When other things had been accomplished. What things? What had been accomplished then in this time? There was the cutting of the covenant. When God did for the first time um, a ceremony which said, I will take full responsibility for this. Absolutely full responsibility. There was the gradual revealing of the promise that extended and deepened. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. You will be father. Sarah will be mother. And so it went on. You'll have descendants, numerous as the, as the stars and numerous as the dust. Nations. And then, I will be your God. That wasn't said at the beginning. The covenant of circumcision, the setting apart of these people. And then Abraham's ability to negotiate with God for the righteous men. It speaks of a deep and trusting relationship that is born out of this waiting, this trial. And then the name change, which I think probably is the most crucial of the lot. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Abram means exalted father. I wonder if Abram knew the meaning of his name and saw the irony of it. <laughs> this childless man whose name means exalted father. Sarai means simply wife of Abram. Abram. And when the name was changed to Abraham, it means exalted father, the father of the Jewish nation. There is another retelling of the promise, even in the name change. Sarah means princess, wife of Abraham. But there's still a bit more in this name change. Because I think the stature of Abram is growing into a man of God. The change of name to Abraham and Sarah includes the addition of a Hebrew letter. Which when we say the name is Ha, Abraham. Not Abram, Abraham and Sarah. And the letter is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so the Jewish scholars reveal to me when you do the reading. And each Hebrew letter has a meaning. And the Hebrew letter that's been added into Abram's name to make Abraham and added to Sarah's name to make Sarai to make Sarah means breath. It means sigh. It means to reveal. And when you say it, it has a breathy sound. And it's said to represent the breath of God. So when this man's name was changed from Abram to Abraham, it contains within it the breath of God. So this man, by the change of his name, has the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. And that was the crucial thing that needed to happen 
before he had the child. So the child then came at the appointed time under God's sovereignty. Worth the wait. And Sarah carries the same in her name. Breath of God. So this child is born to anointed parents. But they couldn't have been anointed in the beginning. They needed to grow in their love and trust of God. They needed to go through the trials and learn the lessons. It was all part of the journey. So they were waiting for God. Maybe God was waiting for them to get to that point. And I'm going to finish with this from Romans chapter 4 from the message version. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life. When the conditions were equally hopeless, the sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God set us right with God.